you found the Digging Oak Island podcast, a podcaster's journey to discover the truth behind the Oak Island mystery. I'm Dave McBride. Thank you so much for downloading and listening. If you've been listening to and enjoying our little podcast, please consider helping out the show by becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash Island to learn more. All right, before we get started, let's talk more about our Patreon page. If you think this podcast is worth five bucks a month to you and you'd like to see it keep going and keep staying ad-free, uh, as, or at least as ad-free as possible, uh, then please consider becoming a patron of our show. Go to patreon.com slash island to sign up. Uh, five, five bucks a month is all it is. Patrons get exclusive access to a live chat during the U.S. broadcast of each new episode of The Curse of Oak Island. And as I always like to tell you, that chat is one of my favorite things to do. It's so much fun. So come and join us. Uh, again, go to patreon.com slash Island to sign up, support the podcast. It's only five bucks a month, and you can cancel at any time. But if you want to make a one-time donation, you could certainly do so. If you're not into the monthly thing, I get that. You could also make a one-time donation via Venmo. Just use the username at Dave McBride Music. That's I'm a musician by trade, and that's sort of my virtual tip jar. And really, the only way I have set up to do that. Thanks to everybody who has become a patron and has sent in any uh, donations in the past. It means everything to me. Thank you so much. All right, let's start today's podcast like as we love to do with your emails and messages. Uh, and we start off with our old friend Gary, who we haven't heard from in a while, and he says, "Hi, Dave." I've grown wary of the show over the last two seasons and normally manage to skim through each episode in around 15 minutes just to see what new features they are trying to sell us this week. It feels like they are desperate to find a reason to dig somewhere they haven't investigated before and find a quote-unquote potentially significant clue to the money pit mystery. This week's new target, the quadrilateral formation. They decide to investigate and wonder the, uh, the deposits of blue clay that must have been deliberately placed there. Yes, it was deliberately placed there by Fred Nolan when he filled it all back in again. We are told by Tom Nolan that his father never managed to remove all the boulders, but they show quick flashes of Fred Nolan's sketches. Has anyone told Prometheus that we all have pause and rewind facilities now? And the sketches clearly show that his detailed sketch of the depth of the feature, which is 11 feet, and an unidentified black rectangle at the bottom. It even shows a slight inward slope at the base. Now, how would he know this if he hadn't excavated to that depth? And now it would seem we have another previously untouched area to investigate on the southwest side of the swamp, supposedly a ramp of some sort, still waiting for that dumb truck of gold, guys. Regards, Gary. Gary, it's great to hear from you again. Folks, in order for me to answer Gary's question uh, in a sort of honest and forthright way, I'm going to have to sound like I'm really calling out Fred Nolan's reliability and his honesty. Uh, so if you don't want to hear that, fast forward just a couple of minutes. Um, Gary, the part of the email when you ask how could Fred have produced this sketch if he hadn't excavated to that depth? Well, there's an easy answer to that. Uh, he found some boulders and then exaggerated what they mean. He came to some idea of what could be down there and how far. And then he wrote that down and talked about it amongst everyone else as if it's fact. If you study Fred and his time searching the island, this isn't an unusual occurrence. Uh, it's even part of the course to some extent. Uh, you have to remember Fred was in a constant battle with Dan Blankenship. And part of that fight 
was to see who was the man finding the most on Oak Island, right? This is why um, there are many credible people who think that Nolan's cross was perhaps fabricated, that Nolan himself moved those into shape. I mean, he is a surveyor and could do that. Uh, and when you hear me often dismiss some of the things that Fred claimed to find that he never that never seems to surface, you know why I'm doing that. Um, and yes, I, I'm not saying I know this is true. I'm not saying Fred was fabricating stuff. I do think he exaggerated. This is this is true for most treasure hunters. Uh, I'm going to mention this again in this week's episode, but um, I think another part of it is the show is kind of hitting the doldrums a bit. Uh, anyway, I'll get more on that when we get into the episode review. It's great observations, Gary. Uh, you're definitely starting to get a little... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Cynical, I think, about this. Uh, don't be a stranger. Keep them coming. Uh, we love you. Love your take on the show and what they find. And again, I'm going to address your part about this, uh, the doldrums of the season in just a few minutes. Okay. Staying along this very same subject, let's turn now to Bill, who says, Hi, Dave. I found the following quote, and I thought you would enjoy it if you have not seen it before. Quote, there comes a time in every rightly constructed boy's life that he has the raging desire to go somewhere and dig for hidden treasure. Mark Twain. Uh, based on the results of the quadrilateral, quadrilateral area and the drilling in the garden shaft, it appears that we are not going to see treasure pulled from the island this year, but there are a couple more episodes for us to hear Gary say Templar baby one or two more times. Keep up the good work, Bill in Ohio. Bill, great stuff. There are some projects that they do um, that are simply not designed with the idea of there being treasure at the bottom of it, right? And especially if you think these gold traces in the water samples, the money pit means that that's where the treasure is. So, you know, I, I don't think the team has ever thought the treasure was anywhere else but the money pit. I don't think that any of them has ever felt the treasure would be found in, I don't know, Smith's Cove or the swamp or lot five, seven, 10, 26, or 32, right? They have always done these other projects to see uh, if whatever mysterious thing was reported in that location might turn out to be something helpful regarding exactly what happened on the island, you know, finding that out. The quadrilateral is, in my mind, the latest example of this type of thing. Do we really think that the paved road is going to leave us, lead us to a treasure vault? No. Or the wharf, right, in Smith's Cove, that it would have a piece of the Ark of the Covenant buried underneath it in between the planks, right? No, they don't think that. They're just trying to answer questions about some of the things that many of the former treasure hunters have reported over the years, Fred Nolan being the one who reported this one, others being like Dan Blankenship, the one who reported things in Smith's Cove, and so on and so on, right? So while I agree with most of what you say here, I'm kind of okay with these explorations of the history of the Oak Island treasure hunt. Uh, I think it's a good idea. And I hope that makes sense. It's a great email, Bill. Now let's go to Facebook. I'll be honest, I neglected to check Facebook before last week's podcast, so I kind of got to catch up a bit. So I got a couple here from Facebook. So let's start off with Wayne, who says, hey, Dave, I've been a 10-series watcher of 10-season watcher of The Curse of Oak Island. Love your podcast. I've been thinking about the offset chamber, and if it were still intact, uh, if it was, then how was, has the gold been leaching into the surrounding water if it's a dry space? If, of course, they're expecting it to be dry, which I haven't heard the contrary up to now, anyhow, here's to the crossing, here's to crossing fingers over locating a Gerhardt dump truck full of treasure. All the best, Wayne in Lincolnshire, England. Wayne, I think no one, I'll be honest with you about this, I think no one on this team thinks for one second that 
the treasure vault, if there was a vault and somebody built such a thing, is somehow still intact. If the original money pit were indeed on top of this treasure vault, right? If it was indeed the location of the treasure, whatever was down there has had tons of wood and equipment and all sorts of stuff collapsing on top of it. This was over 150 years ago. And then after that, it had to survive um, all of the massive amounts of flooding and drilling and all of those things that the years, it seems near impossible to me that anyone in their right mind would think that there's a treasure vault untouched somewhere down there at this point. Um, so I think it actually works kind of in favor of the water sample results, right? Just knowing that if there is treasure down there, it's probably scattered all over the place and beat the heck, right? And maybe that's what's causing these samples. I don't know. Hopefully that gives you a little more hope for that dump truck load of treasure coming someday soon. Great stuff, Wayne. Here is Giles, who says, just a thought about the stone wall. I know Laird said it was un was usually of the type associated with agriculture, and it's hard to get a decent perspective from the TV, but it wouldn't seem high enough to keep livestock in or other animals out. If it was to indicate a boundary that dimensions seem massive, the, the dimensions there seem massive overkill. Were there any unofficial farms on Oak Island before the land was divided up? If so, maybe it lined up with one of the boundaries or a raised pathway. My offer, my other thought, sorry, was a possible fortification to seek shelter behind, but I don't know if the location would work for that, and a simple earth berm would be much less work to construct whilst providing a decent barrier to musket fire. I'm enjoying the podcast. Thank you for your hard work. Um, Giles, here's what we know. Oak Island was divided, uh, and it was divided in a very strange fashion. Just look at those lots. Why would you divide an island that way, right? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. The point is there was a reason for that, and that leads me to believe that even when it was divided and sold off, it was probably not uninhabited and mysterious, you know, a thing offshore that nobody knew about. There was probably something going on, um, and some people there doing something. That's my guess. I'm no expert on farming or livestock, but I believe Laird when he says that he looks at a wall like this and that he thinks it is often used for agriculture. But I can also tell you that Laird thinks this entire area is a bit confounding. So I think there's a lot more to this than even we're getting from the show here. Great stuff, my friend. Okay. Also on Facebook, here is Bert who says, Dave, I'm watching the new episode now and they've actually said the garden shaft was carbon dated more than 60 years prior than the discovery of the money pit. My mind is legitimately broken now. I can't make sense of it. Don't know if you mentioned this in your podcast. We'll listen later, but man. Bert, I was a little flummoxed by this too, and they've said it a couple of times recently. The narration has. Uh, <laughs> at the risk of, I mean, I, I, let, me, let me put it as a question. What are they referring to? I don't recall any of the wood from the garden shaft being dated using dendrochronology, which is the only way that you can come up with a single year of any confidence, right? I do recall carbon dating, which is what you mentioned as well. And that gave us a date range, the middle of which falls probably somewhere in the 1730s. But that's all. Now, guys, am I missing something here? Am I not remembering some testing done earlier that pointed to just that? Bert, as far as I know... And I've kind of just brushed this off. This is just a narration exaggerating, again, the information 
that they got, as they often do, right? They've got a, from what I know, they got a, a something that even went into the 17th or into the 19th century, that big a, a, a spread there. So I, I mean, I'm, I'm throwing it out there. I'm not saying they're lying. I'm just throwing it out there because if somebody remembers something that I'm not recalling, and I went through my notes from the old shows, uh, I hope I'm wrong. Uh, hopefully somebody will remind me of this. But I, I think what they're trying to do here, Bert, is uh, trick you into thinking that they actually have such concrete information when they really don't. Let's finish up with our friend Steve, who writes, Dave, as opposed to the Doobie Brothers, Blackwater had a thought on this. Gold purity is measured in carats, with pure gold being 24 carat. But there are many impure variations. Extending this train of thought, Marty Lagina's favorite metal, Rolls Gold, is a mixture of gold, copper, and silver. It's not pure 24 karat gold. I am 100% not an expert on metallurgy or geology, but it seems likely that a possible feature is not pure gold, but items made of alloys like rose gold, which the evidence already suggests. Could it be that the metal alloy will degrade or dissolve over time? That is to say that the copper and silver around the gold deteriorated over the centuries and thus releasing the gold into the water. Such a scenario could explain non-naturally occurring gold in the water. Maybe Dr. Fader or Dr. Lukeman or Spooner could opine on this. Good luck against the White Sox. I'm a Cardinals fan. I won't hold your pirates, uh, pirates fandom against you. All the best, Steve. Yeah, Steve, it was a great opening weekend. Uh, we were in Pittsburgh to celebrate my birthday with three games at my favorite ballpark with my favorite team. It was so much fun to watch. They won two or three. Couldn't complain at all. Uh, Steve, I will try and get you some answers on that. Um, I don't have them yet. It seems logical to me. But again, it brings up the point that the show just hasn't bothered explaining any of this, and it's frustrating as all heck. Hopefully, Steve, we can get some answers before this season is done. If not, I'm really going to make this a subject to explore in the offseason for sure. i got to find somebody who can help us on this. That's all the emails and messages for this week. If you have any questions or comments you would like to have answered on a future podcast, just send them along. Island at gmail.com. All right, let's do it. Let's discuss season 10, episode 20, 20 already of the Curse of Oak Island called A Barrel Full of Clues. And on the Patreon before the show started, Steve said, I swear if that's the name because they find part of a barrel, I'm defecting and watching Naked and Afraid. Steve, uh, I hope you enjoyed Naked and Afraid. <laughs> I've never watched it, but uh, I'm sure you loved it. Folks, I don't have a whole lot to say about this episode as there really wasn't much worth discussing in it. I mean, just not much to really expand on here. So this is probably a good time to discuss something that I hinted at earlier in the podcast, these sort of mid-season doldrums. These seasons always start and end big, right? But since they moved to these longer seasons of 20-something, 20 20-plus 20 episodes, you know, close to 25 episodes, we've always had a run of episodes like this in the middle where it's just a lot of recapping what we've already seen and not much new to get excited about, a lot of items that they don't really uh, uh, verify or look into much. And there's no better example of that phenomenon than really this episode. I mean, 
you'll get a better idea of what I mean as we go on and talk through it. Um, but let me just say again, this is not a criticism of the dig or of the cast, right? This is a criticism of the production and the editing. And it has been a problem with viewers for years now. And the producers have just not really done anything to combat it. They haven't really moved with it. In fact, they sort of seem to lean more into it recently than they have. I mean, the 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 complaint is we need to have a big find every week. And we know it's not a big find, but we need to sit and watch them pretend to do it. And this needs to go on. And then there are these weeks where they, you know, where they're really pushing it, you know, where we're getting a lot of ox shoes and things like that. Um, and this, the show and the producers just really haven't moved off that and haven't really fixed that problem. Anyway, uh, it doesn't bother me as much as it bothers a lot of other folks. And again, um, it's not a, it's, it's not a criticism of the dig. It's not a criticism of the fellowship as you guys like to call them. It's a criticism of the production of the, of the editing, which I think can do a better job in making these mid season. If they're going to make 24 episodes to make sort of most of them compelling. Um, I find them all compelling, but I know that there are a lot of people out there who don't. So we have a couple of locations to get to in this episode. And again, we're going to kind of skim through them because there really isn't much here. Charles and Scott, I think, start off the show by checking in with the Dumas guys. These are the guys doing the garden shaft. Um, and I, I got to say right off the top, <laughs> we've seen a scene like this, almost exactly like this, in every episode for weeks now. Uh, we go to the garden shaft. We look in. Where are we? We give a day. We give a, a, a depth. I think it was 70-something feet here. Um, we do a lot of recap of what they've done and what they think, uh, uh, you know, a lot of talk about, uh, the, the money pit and the garden shaft and the blob and all this kind of stuff. Um, but we don't really get any new information. And that's, again, we get this sort of every week we get this scene. Uh, Ernest on the Patreon asked, why does it seem to be taking so long to reconstruct the garden shaft? Ernest, um, I think you got to keep in mind, it might not be taking as long as they are leading us to believe. Um, and they're just editing the season so that the garden shaft is kind of sprinkled in here and part of the big finish, uh, the big cliffhanger like we always get. Again, this is a criticism of production and of editing. Uh, we didn't need to spread this out over all of these episodes just so we can put in 10 minutes of a scene where we're doing this. I think this is where a lot of the root of people's criticisms are. So anyway, not going to be the last one from this show. Later, Duma shows them what appears to be a barrel hoop that came out of the hammer grab. Luckily, it was late in the show, so Steve didn't have to watch all of Naked and Afraid, but he got some of it, I would imagine. Um, they found this while they were cleaning and clearing out the dirt in the garden shaft as they're going down. There's no dating of it on the episode, no sending it to Carmen Leg, no experts, no nothing. Um, no reason to believe that the barrel would have been placed there by anyone else besides the searchers who built the garden shaft. So uh, that's kind of where we leave that. Uh, and that's it for the money pit and the garden shaft for that week or for this week. Now, over at the swamp, again, we see sort of a continuation of what we were doing last week. We see them digging out at an area that they talked about, which was a target given to them by Jeremy Church from his scans of the area. Um, it is this sloped cobble section or a paved ramp area that's leading up to the stone path. Uh, we see even more digging later on, uh, and then they kind of find the border of it, the outside borders of it. 
but again, that's pretty much it. We don't get really a good look at it yet, right? Uh, and this was happening with the Stone Road too. We went a few weeks before we got a really good look at it to see if this is exactly what we're being told it is. Um, Jack finds a small piece of wood there. They agree to move things over and keep digging and keep excavating. But uh, that's really all for that. And then there was also a war room crackpot session. And this time, it's with uh, one person we've seen plenty of times, researcher Judy Rudabush, who has been a friend of Zena Halpern's and helped her over the years. And she's joined by Emiliano Sacchetti, who uh, leads up, apparently, Rick's research team in Italy. Remember last year, Rick said he was employing researchers throughout Europe to look into this stuff, especially the Templar stuff. And here is Emiliano Sacchetti, who is doing this for him in Italy. Now, the long short of this is that Emiliano believes he's found a manuscript that says the Italians knew of the New World, knew of America, long before Columbus. The problem is he doesn't produce the manuscript, he doesn't show a photo of it, and he doesn't even quote it, really. Um, And the reason why we're talking about it is because we're relating this all to the Templars through something called the Cremona document, which is one of these um, disputed documents claiming that the Templars came to America to hide their treasures. Um, So, uh, again, and that's why Judy Rudabush is there, because that was a part of Zena's information. Part of Zena's research was in the Cremona document. Again, the problem here is uh, it's hard to discuss or debate the methods of all this or the or the um, you know the the potential of any of these things that we're talking about because we don't get to see the manuscript. We don't know that the manuscript ever mentions the Templars. We don't have any reason why we would be using this manuscript to connect to the Cremona document. We have no idea why we're talking about the Templars in context of all this. Um, And to be honest with you, the whole session kind of left me wondering why they flew this guy all the way from Italy for this. All right, so let's finish up with Lot 5. There are two things, two kind of separate things to talk about here on Lot 5. The first is this very strange pit that Laird brings Rick, Marty, and Alex Lagina over to have a look at. It's explained by Laird that he was shown this feature 20 years ago by the former owner of Lot 5, prompting Ginger on the uh, Patreon to ask. Laird has known about this for 20 years, and he's only just telling them about it now. Ginger, knowing Laird, I sincerely doubt that, honestly. I just think that's what the producers wanted us to believe, right? (laughs) But the fact is, um, you know, they have only gotten access to this lot this year. So everything is kind of new to them, right? Um, It's also kind of cool to be reminded just how long Laird has been kind of associated with the archaeology of Oak Island. Uh, The Laginas turned to him for a reason, and that reason is because he had been on the island many times and was very familiar with uh, what was going on there, you know, um, including by Dan Blankenship. I believe he came on for Fred Nolan and for the guy who owned Lot 5. Anyway, they kind of all have a look at it. They decide that they're going to want to learn more about it and do some more research in it, but that's really it. Uh, It certainly appears to me to be man-made and very old, but let's see what comes out of this. Way too early days. 
Uh, will they show us really an excavation and explain to us what this is? Or is this just going to be another Samuel Ball homestead type thing where it just sort of fades away after a while? Who knows? But also on lot five, we see Gary Drayton and Jack Begley metal detecting. They find this round piece of lead that at first looks like a coin, but it's got these kind of scalloped edges and no apparent design on the face. Gary says it could be something that he calls a possible trade token, which they explain pretty well there on the show. Later, there's a closer look at this little piece in the interpretive center where Emma has done her XRF scanning work. Um, and she says, you know, uh, and she has some information on that. They have not cleaned it up completely yet. There's still no discernible design that could help identify exactly what it is. Uh, but her research into the metal and all that kind of stuff is similar to the research that we saw with the lead cross. We're able to take the composition of the lead and actually find a place where it was mined and when, you know, in a, a large span of time, but where is kind of the most important thing. And her research indicates that it comes from this sort of underground vein of metal that extends from the Middle East all the way uh, west into Italy. And so we, since we were already were discussing Italy earlier this season in the Crackpot session, now we know why we edited these two things together in one show. This is kind of what they do, right? These two things could have happened at, you know, one in June and one in September, and they edit them together to make it sound like some big Italian revelation. Um, Emma thinks it is old, uh, and she would know, um, and she thinks it could even be of Roman origin. And let me just point out here that... Uh, Roman and Templar, which were, which is what we were talking about with the, <laughs> with the, uh, the crackpot session. Romans and Templars are two very, very different things, separated by nearly a millennium. <laughs> so, we got to kind of choose one or the other. We're really opening up uh, how many years this could have all taken place, and it's also starting to sound like there was a. Roman coin enthusiast of some sort that lived on Oak Island in the, in the not too distant past. The hope is here that they try and look more into this item. Uh, it does sound potentially interesting. Uh, but again, what I always tell you guys, if we never hear of this item again, we know exactly why. That's going to do it for this episode of the Digging Oak Island podcast. Don't forget, you could really help the show by becoming a patron. If you think this show is worth five bucks a month to you, head over to patreon.com slash Island to learn more. And if you prefer, you can also make a one-time donation to the podcast via Venmo. Just use the username at Dave McBride Music. If you want to help out the podcast in another way, then please do so by giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get your shows. Uh, you can also follow the show on Facebook and Twitter. We are at Digging Oak Island. And if you have any questions or comments that you want to send directly to me, you can do so via email at diggingoakisland at gmail.com. Just keep in mind, if you do send me an email or a direct message on social media, I may just answer it here on the podcast. So if you don't want your message read aloud, just please make a note of that for me. Well, as Dave Blankenship would say, it is crown time. So until we speak again, I'm Dave McBride. Have a great weekend, and thank you for listening to Digging Oak Island.